Hi, this is Michael Dorn, Lieutenant Commander Worf from Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Helling frequencies open. This is Trek FM's Hyper Channel. I'm your host, Christopher Jones, at least for one more show, because this is a special Hyper Channel. I'm going to be passing the baton over to Luke Weir, and Luke's here with me today. Hey, Luke. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm very happy that we had a chance to sit down together and record a transitional show here for Hyper Channel as I pass the baton over to you to bring Star Trek news to everyone. And Hyper Channel has been around for, it's more than five and a half years now. It's kind of a long show. Tell me quickly how you first came across Hyper Channel. Well, um, let's see here. Thinking back to how I first came across uh, Trek FM as a network, I think my first episode was probably one of the Ready Room episodes. Uh, stumbled across one of those. I think, if I remember right, I was searching for something about either Star Trek in general or maybe uh, Voyager in particular. Uh, Voy- Star Trek Voyager is uh, definitely my favorite show out of the out of the five we have so far. Or six. So I was probably just searching for something along those lines, found a uh, Ready Room episode about Voyager. And then from there, I was exploring around the network a little bit and discovered that you guys have a dedicated show for every for every show in the franchise, which I was amazed by. I did not think I'd ever be able to find shows for Voyager or Enterprise or anything like that. So, so that was really exciting for me. So I've uh, been listening to, to The Journey and Ready Room for probably the longest. Uh, came across Hyper Channel. Not too long, well, a little, a little while after that, but I was really into that too. And then I noticed you guys stopped, stopped, uh, stopped updating. I know that's that, right. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, right. I, yeah, I in April. It had been a little while since I had heard one. I went back and checked the feed, and it had been a couple months. Yeah, April fifth was the last episode that I did, and that was about two weeks after I started my new job, and. Uh, as a lot of listeners know, especially people who listen to The Ready Room know, I'm a magazine editor, and the magazine that I was running in the past, I had a lot of flexibility on that, and I was still working in my home studio several days a week, and I was able to do this, and my new magazine, well, it's not a new magazine, it's actually a 53-year-old magazine, but I took it over, it's a business magazine, and now I'm never home, I'm never in my studio, and I thought at first that I could come home at night and I could still do these little short shows. And then I realized that when I come home at night, I'm really, really dead. And so yeah. <laughs> I had to uh, I had to give up something. And of course, I wanted to keep doing the Ready Room and the Orb. And sure. so Hyper Channel just kind of fell by the wayside. But I'm, I'm glad that you found it and you have an interest in picking it up because a lot of listeners tell me how much they miss Hyper Channel because it had become a part of their day and their week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really great concept. Just a short little update every every day. We'll be adjusting that a little bit, but I started out with five days a week, and that's quite a commitment right there. So I used to do to it seven. Keeping that up, really seven. Yeah. Wow. When I first when when we when we made the transition to audio only, I started out doing it seven days a week, and then I realized two things. One. I need a little bit of a break from time to time. And yeah, two, yeah. there wasn't really enough Star Trek news uh-huh. to do it seven yeah. days a week. I was really, really digging for stories. And so then, yeah, I cut it back to five and then it became like three and then it became zero. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely exciting to be able to uh, keep the keep the show going. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to really excited for what the future holds with the show. 
Well, a quick little history of Hyperchannel for those who haven't been around the show since the very beginning. And Luke, you might not even know some of this, actually. The first Hyperchannel was on December 16th, 2010. It was the very first show of any kind that we ever published on Trek FM. And at that point in time, it was a video show. And it ran, I don't remember the duration of the first one, but those shows typically were about five minutes. And sometimes they would stretch out to be around seven. And it was video, and I would be on camera briefly at the beginning and briefly at the end. And then the rest of it was comprised of visuals of the news stories. And initially, those were mostly still images that I was sort of animating a little bit. And then later on, it became actually full motion video. And the stories that we covered in that very first one were Star Trek Online's Massively Gaming Awards nominations, the Troy Costume Pack in the C-Store on Star Trek Online, Chase Masterson's support of Geek Chic, and Starfleet Weddings in Canada. Nice. And so I continued to do the show. At first, it was twice a week. And then it became weekly because the workload of trying to produce a five-minute video show twice a week was pretty heavy. And I was doing some other video shows at that time that weren't related to Star Trek. And so I didn't quite have enough time. But it was weekly for quite a long time. And then in the spring of 2011, Tristan Riddell came around. And Tristan had seen the show. And at the time, he was working for a sports network in Chicago that was covering the NFL. And they did video, of course, and so they had a studio there and all. And he said, hey, I've got this studio that I have access to, and I would love to get on camera and be the host. And so I said, well, that sounds great. So Tristan became the voice of Hyper Channel and became the host. And so he was on camera briefly at the beginning and at the end, like I was, but in a much more professional manner. And then he did the voiceover all the way through, and I would write the scripts, and I would do the video editing, and he would be the host. And we did that for a long time, all the way until, yeah, that was July 14th, 2011. That was the first show with Tristan. And we covered the Pad app for the iPad Star Trek Online Ground Combat Tutorial, the Enterprise Shuttle Salt and Pepper Shakers, and the the Space Shuttle documentary that William Shatner was narrating. And we continued to do that all the way until November 10th, 2012. So almost a year and a half there with Tristan. And then November 10th, 2012 was the last video hyperchannel. And that one covered the La La Land Records original series music collection launch. So the big, huge box set that they did. Also, the Paramount and Dolby Laboratories getting together to present Star Trek Into Darkness in the Dolby Atmos, which was new at the time. Mm, Nice. And then we also introduced three new podcasts on the network in that show. And this might be interesting to people as well, because... One of the podcasts that we introduced in Tristan's last Hyper Channel was To The Journey, which was going to be kicking off that week. And we also introduced Commentary Trek Stars and a show called The Observation Lounge, which we don't do anymore, but it was similar in subject matter to The 602 Club. It was all of our non-Trek geek fandom stuff. And The Observation Lounge was a show that we created 
very, very quickly, like over the course of two days, because we wanted to talk about Disney buying Star Wars. Oh, nice. And we didn't have anywhere where we could do that on the network. And so we put that show together and then... Greg Harbin, who was my co-host at the time on The Ready Room, was the host of that show. And all three of those launched during that same week in November of 2012. And then the last item on that Hyper Channel was the theatrical event for the TNG Season 2 Blu-rays. Ah, nice. Yeah. Now, when was that? Was that 2012? November 10th, 2012. 2012, okay. Yeah, so... So that was it. And then the show was on hiatus for a really long time. And then May 11th, 2014, I revived the show as audio only with me as the host once again. And I was doing it daily at that point, so seven days a week. And then it kind of tapered down. I did 154 episodes by myself. A couple of them had Larry on with me. And then my new job kicked in. And then on April 5th, we went on hiatus, as you noticed. Yes. And now here we are (laughs) heading into the third week of August, I guess it's going to be. And we're going to pick back up now with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. Now, uh, listening back to the history that you were going over there, I was wondering when a couple of things came to mind. First of all, I was wondering when uh, the Ready Room came into being. Uh, compared to when Hyper Channel came around. So the Ready Room, that's an interesting story, in fact, because the Ready Room, although it wasn't the first show that we did, it was the first true podcast that we did because the video Hyper Channel wasn't exactly a podcast. It was just a short series of videos with some narration over it. And when I decided to create Trek a Film... The Ready Room is the kind of show that I wanted to do originally because I had been a podcast consumer for about six years before I created Trek FM. And I was a big fan of the Twit Network, which is a family of technology podcasts, and they are done as video as well as audio. And then I was also a big fan of MacCast with Adam Christensen and a show that is now called Big Picture Science, but at the time it was called Are We Alone? It's produced by the SETI Institute. And Dr. Seth Shostak is the host. And I've actually had him on Matterstream before with me. And that was an interesting conversation. Talking about SETI and Klingons and all kinds of stuff like that. But anyway, I was a big fan of these various podcasts. And so I wanted to do that kind of a long form show. And The Ready Room is modeled largely after MacCast in that it has this news segment and then it has some kind of feature segment. And that's the model for the Ready Room. But it took me a while to find a co-host and to figure out who would come on as panelists. And I didn't know many people at the time. And it was a lot easier for me to just start with something like Hyper Channel that I could produce all by myself. And on May 31st, 2011... That's the day when we published the very first episode of The Ready Room. So we're talking about six months after the launch of Hyper Channel. Okay. When The Ready Room kicked off. Uh, But it was actually in the planning first. It's kind of like Steve Jobs said about the iPad and the iPhone, that they were working on the iPad first, but they released the iPhone first because it was easier to produce. Sure. Get to market. 
And it's kind of like that. I had this other idea and I went with something else first. And then eventually we ended up with the ready room and then everything exploded from there. Yeah. And the longer history of the ready room is recounted somewhere on the network, I believe. And also there are some podcasts about podcasting that I've been on before where I've told the story of the whole history of the ready room, the network. So. All right. Well, that's really interesting. It's really been uh, neat to see the network grow, even though I haven't been watching it for too long now, but it's been interesting to see it grow into what it is today. And with how many shows now, uh, you have over 20 shows. Is that right? Yeah, I think there's 25 maybe. And there are a couple that don't exist anymore in any accessible form at all, which would push it to 27, I believe. So yeah. Wow. Not all the shows are still active, you know, we retire some from time to time, but then new ones come in to take their place. And of course, our series shows, we transition those so that we can keep talking about the series. We are doing that, of course, coming up with Earl Grey, and we did it recently with Standard Orbit, and we've done it with Warp 5 a couple of times, because I used to be the host of Warp 5, along with Kate Walsh. And so that's how we handle those shows. But yeah, sometimes shows in, like Commentary Trek Stars, and then we have a new one, like Stage 9, that comes in and takes its place, which fills the same niche, but has its own character as well. So yeah, the network is just evolving all the time. But let's talk about a little bit of Star Trek news here, and then we'll let people go so this show doesn't become too long. Since you're taking over hosting duties here on Hyperchannel, over the past few weeks, what's been your favorite news story in the world of Star Trek? Well, um, setting aside dis- uh, Discovery, which is, of course, just every single little detail that we can find out about that, I'm just really excited to dig into that. But um, looking back here over the past few weeks, I was really interested to hear about uh, how we finally have now a- an official name for the JJ-verse. Oh, yeah. So th- I think the Kelvin timeline, I think that's a really, uh, I think that's a good name. And uh, it's nice to have a canon way to talk about that universe now. Have you gotten used to saying the Kelvin timeline yet? Because I sure haven't. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, more or less, yeah. I mean, it depends on if you're in a more casual situation versus you're talking more seriously about the lore. But I don't know. I have a feeling both names will probably live on to a certain extent. Probably. I'm so accustomed to saying the Abrams verse. And when I really? say it, I don't mean it in a derogatory way. I mean it in a... I don't know if I'm going to say an affectionate way, but J.J. Abrams created this rendition of Star yeah, Trek. Yeah. And so it's the Abrams verse. And I had been jokingly calling Star Trek Beyond the first film in the peg verse. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I mean, for me, it was a way of talking about it. And also because it encompasses everything surrounding it, including the writers and the creative aspects of it. It's not just the story. It's not just what's on screen. So it's not just because the point when the Kelvin met the Narada, it became the Kelvin timeline. But I think they both work fine. And I do agree that in terms of the reason that this came up in the first place, because Mike and Denise were doing the update to the encyclopedia. Yes. Uh You can't call it the Abrams verse in the encyclopedia, obviously. And so, of course, they needed to have a formal name. And so I think it works fine, but mm-hmm. it will take some getting used to. Yeah, it will. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I found that to be really interesting here, reading about, reading up about that. And um, I haven't uh, kept up with the encyclopedia as much. I don't know. Do they release like uh, new versions of those every once in a while? Is that how? No. And that's why it's such a big story. Oh, really? So is this the first one? The last time that they updated 
the Star Trek Encyclopedia was in, I believe, 1999. So it has nothing about Enterprise in it. It doesn't even have the end of Voyager in it. Wow, And wow. people have been waiting and waiting and waiting for them to redo this book. And of course, you know, Paramount and CBS kind of lost interest in doing these books, I think. If you look at the Voyager companion, it's horrible. You know, really? the DS9 companion is phenomenal. And Larry's Next Generation companion is fantastic as well. But the Voyager companion is basically like a little summary of the episode and a couple of little tidbits, anecdotes from the production. But there's mm-hmm. not the kind of in-depth stuff. Like the DS9 companion is so in-depth. It's an amazing reference book. And so interest seemed to have been lost for a long time. But now with the 50th anniversary here, they decided to finally update it. And they didn't mess around. You know, it's this huge two-volume, massive hardcover and it's beautifully designed and it's expensive although you can pre-order it for $88 on Amazon right now the list price is 150 but yeah i mean that that for me too is a really really big story that i'm looking forward mm-hmm. to yeah well at some point i'm able to get my hands on the encyclopedia i'd love to take a look at it but uh, i don't know i don't know that's something we'll be able to find at the library or not I don't know. That's, Maybe depends yeah. on which library, what city you're in. Uh, yeah, pretty small one, so probably. Well, yeah. I'm probably not gonna have any luck with that. I won't be but, finding uh, it here in Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> now, how big is Star Trek in uh, in Japan? Is it does it have much traction there? Or no, no, really, it's, it's nothing <laughs> in Japan. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's nothing at all. As you can tell by the fact that Star Trek Beyond opens here on October 21st. Yeah, yeah, so, that's. Not very much. Um, You know, I always cite the numbers. Star Trek 2009 made $5 million at the box office in Japan. And Into Darkness doubled that number to $10 million. Oh, well, okay. Which, of course, is nothing at all (laughs) compared to what it would make in the U.S. Sure. So, yeah, it's it's, it's just not a thing here. And there's a fan club. Uh, They've tried to make inroads a few times on getting people interested in it, releasing special sets, having a special magazine, uh, having a special website, doing things like that. But it's just never really caught on. You know, Star Wars mm-hmm. is really the thing. And Star oh, Trek really? is not. But okay, that's okay. I'm unique here in that sense, then, yeah. <laughs> being the Trekkie. Well, you know, the, the last thing to touch on, I guess, is something that I have found interesting since we were talking about the DS9 companion for a moment there. For me, the big news story has been the DS9 documentary that oh, Iris yes. Stephen Bear mentioned at Star Trek Las Vegas. That's something that I've been hoping for for a really long time. One reason I've been hoping that they will do DS9 Blu-ray sets is because I want the extras that go along with it. Mm-hmm. And I want to see the writers get together and talk about the writing process and how they broke these stories and what they were thinking at the time. And although we're not going to get those Blu-ray sets anytime soon, we are apparently next year going to get this documentary. And it seems that it's going to be heavily focused on the writers. And that's exactly what I want. And so I've been really excited about that. Yeah, that sounds really neat. I'll definitely, I'm sure I'll be covering that here on the show as we get closer to the release date for that. Definitely, definitely. And at some point... I'm hoping that we'll be able to get Ira on to talk about it, maybe on the orb. 
that would be really nice, but we'll keep working on that. All right. Well, Luke, I guess we've spent enough time here talking to people today on what's normally a very short show. We ran over the usual length a little bit, but it was fun to walk through the history of Hyperchannel and yeah, definitely. touch on a little bit of the network history as well. So you're going to have a somewhat different approach to the news than I have. Can you tell everyone what to expect when your first show drops, hopefully sometime this coming week? Sure. Yeah, we're going to be uh, running on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule. At least that is the goal. So we're going to be doing three episodes a week and we'll be taking a look at a few different stories in each episode. Um, Not exactly sure how long those episodes will be. We'll still try to keep it uh, fairly short here. I imagine probably around the 10 minute mark, something like that, or maybe a little bit shorter. But I just want to give people um, a little, a bit of a Star Trek news blast to look forward to every week. And we're going to have a lot of fun uh, just being able to talk about Star Trek and all of the really exciting things we have coming up, including the new series, which is probably the most exciting thing we've had here for for me anyway it's the most exciting thing in about 10-15 years so I'm really excited to be able to pick up the show um, as we're leading up to the release of this series yeah absolutely we're gonna have so much discovery talk (laughs) for sure oh yeah I can imagine yeah all right well it sounds good okay so Tuesday Thursday Saturday three days a week Mm -hmm. still short 10 minutes 15 minutes maybe shorter sometimes just depends yeah we'll we'll see how it goes that's how Hyper Channel's always been. The times have been very random. Yeah. And so it'll probably continue to be like that. Excellent. All right. Well, everyone, we'll sure. still get those episodes right here in the same feed. But I'm going to be signing off. I'm handing the mic over to Luke now. So thank you, everyone, for listening to me ramble on Hyper Channel for off and on the past five and a half years. And I know you'll be in good hands with Luke. All right. Let's hope. I'm very excited. Well, so everyone... Stay tuned for Luke and his first episode, and until then, go watch some Trek. Trek.